This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We have seen various cases of the president of the United States failing to see the proverbial writing on the wall. There was the attempt to free the hostages from Iran by President Carter, the missed intelligence ahead of 9-11 by President George W. Bush, and the various issues with the Affordable Care Act under President Obama. But it's not just a, a now problem. It has been a historical one. And also, we now have the candidates running for president now, which have certainly missed their fair share of things. Hillary Clinton with Benghazi, Donald Trump with numerous various personal matters. Brookings Institution Senior Fellow Elaine Kmark looks at many of these issues, but also how presidents can recover from them to be effective leaders. She brings this forward in her new book, Why Presidents Fail and How They Can Succeed Again. And Elaine joins us on the show right now. Elaine, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great to have you. I, I jokingly said this to you before we went on the air, but it is true that in some respects, it's unfortunate that you have such a wide range of examples to use from this book. <laughs> yes, it is. And let me say it in this very polarized political season, um, this is there are examples from Democrats and Republicans. This isn't about party. Um, it is about how the modern presidency functions or fails to function uh, and not about party. That's why you see problems with Democrats, same problems with Republicans. Is there common themes that 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 kind of work their way through the presidency in terms of allowing whatever the problem may be, but this type of similar situation to occur on somewhat of a historical basis? Yeah, the, the most common theme is that modern presidents really can't seem to get their head around the federal government that they're in charge of. And, you know, that's it's understandable. The federal government is a very large and very complicated organization. The problem with not taking the time to do that is that presidents make two kinds of mistakes. First, that, that really come back to hurt them. The first kind of mistake is that they fail to see and find out what the government knows. This was particularly true in the case of, in 9-11 and, of course, in the in the Iraq war, mm-hmm. um, but also was, was there in Katrina and in the financial meltdown. The second kind of mistake is that they fail to see what where the government is going wrong, right. which was the case certainly in the failed hostage rescue situation and was the case in um, the Obamacare giving giving it to the agency, which you know screwed up its its implementation. So but both of them come from the fact that modern presidents spend a lot of time talking and not enough time on the serious business of government. We're talking with Elaine Kmark, who is with the uh, Brookings Institution and author of the new book, Why Presidents Fail and How They Can Succeed Again. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. You also mentioned and take the time to look at the fact that this is a historical issue uh, going back a a long, long time. You mentioned uh, somebody that actually we have discussed on this show prior, uh, President Buchanan and all the problems that he had in office. 
obviously part of it was the fact that he was the president in office that basically led to the Civil War. Well, right. There, I mean, a lot of presidents have had some big whopping failures. Obviously, leading a country into a civil war is, a, is among the biggest. Modern presidents, though, have a slight – there's a slightly different twist on the modern presidents, okay. which is they have, they have a government to run that is unprecedented in its size and in its scope, which Buchanan did not have. And that government – is so big that at any given point in time, something is going very right and something's going very wrong. Um, if presidents could spend a little bit more time figuring out what's going right and what's going wrong, they would be better prepared to avoid or at least mitigate some of the kinds of failures that we've seen in modern presidential history. Is part of that a, an issue with maybe relying on the people around them too much and not actually, you know, giving themselves a half hour to sit down and think about these issues? Oh, yeah, very much so. And and part of it is just go, just comes down to scheduling. You know, uh, a previous book that I owe a great debt of gratitude to is by uh, Sam Cornell called Going Public. And in it, he shows that modern presidents over the last half century were talking and traveling more and more and more with every year. Well, that's fine. But the fact of the matter is that it there's only so many hours a day for everyone, including presidents of the United States. And to the extent that they are speechifying and messaging, which the all White Houses are obsessed with, they are not paying attention to the serious business of government. Yeah. And from time to time, it just comes back to bite them. You talk about uh, three pieces kind of being important to this process, policy, communication, and then implementation. Uh, go through those a little bit. And also, uh, which one is maybe the hardest one to complete in, in because of the failures? Mm -hmm. Well, the going way back to leadership theories uh, f from the beginning of the last century, um, and this applies to the business world, to, to really any sphere, um, leaders have to be able to kind of get the answer right, communicate it, and implement it. You know, in the business world, if you think up a great new product and you do a great advertising campaign, but then the dogs don't eat the dog food, right. uh, yeah. you know, you're in trouble, right? Yeah. And yeah. it, it's, this, it's the same in politics. You might get the, the right thing to do. You can make great speeches about it. But if in the end, you know, you people, millions of Americans go to buy health care on the websites and they crash, right, you've yeah. got a great big black eye. So the, uh, the, the point of this book is to say those three things should be equal in the president's attention. And yet over time, we've seen presidents pay loads of attention to communication and not enough attention to implementation. We're joined by Elaine Kmark of the Brookings Institution. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I guess then if you went through and you looked at almost every president that you would be able to find something that that would kind of be that seminal moment slash mistake that they had in their in their term in office. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, they've all had some, you know, they've had some big whoppers, all of them, but they differ in 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 the 
in character, so to speak. So, you know, obviously Bill Clinton, his big mistake in office was was obviously his personal behavior yeah. with an intern, which we've, you know, heard ton all been recent, recent, again. <laughs> recently, yes. In recent years. Um, but and, and, you know, Ronald Reagan had um, a very good first term and then he got all mired in the Iran-Contra scandal in his second term. So, you know, presidents are not perfect, right? They all have their screw ups. This, however, in this book, I talk about a particular kind of screw up that, frankly, is preventable and the, is in some ways worse than a sort of personal screw up the way Bill Clinton did. Mm-hmm. Because what it does is it undermines Americans' faith that government can do anything at all. And so we see fewer and fewer Americans over the years um, expressing any trust in their federal government. Yeah. And I actually, that was the next thing that I wanted to get into was that, that trust factor, because seemingly it's, I think it's harder and harder for presidents you may be able to gain the trust of it, but I think it's harder and harder for presidents to keep the trust because of the kind of the dysfunction in Washington, D.C. And I think we see that partly now with what we're going through with this year's presidential race in the fact that both candidates have a negative rating, you know, more than 60 percent disapproval ratings for both candidates. Yeah, it's it, listen, this has been an ugly year. It is a reflection of the last really six, seven years of very ugly, very polarized politics. Um, and all of that makes it much more important that the next president, whoever he or she is, actually can make the government function in a way that fulfills their ends. Um, usually we, when we talk about government working, we think it's liberals. But the fact of the matter is conservatives need to pay attention to the government as much as liberals do. Um, you know, Newt Gingrich took over the Congress back in 1994 um, with a pledge to shrink the government. We've had lots of Republican Congresses, some Senates, some presidents since then. And the government is just as big, if not bigger, than it was in 1994. Right. Uh, Part of that is if you want to cut the government, you actually have to understand what's going on in it and what you can cut and, and what you have to keep. We're joined by Elaine K. Mark. The book uh, that she has uh, put together is called Why Presidents Fail and How They Can Succeed Again. You're more than welcome to join us with your comments about maybe a president that you have a question about. 844-WHARTON is the number, 844-942-7866. It's interesting. You, you, you have a diagram in the book that looks at the level of trust that the public has. And it's amazing to see, and, and you know, I was born in 1966, so, you know, at that time, the level of trust in the president, but more importantly in Washington, D.C., was, you know, 70, 80 percent. And obviously, you know, over the course of time, things have changed. But the fact that it is so low now, it's a staggering decline, even though it's over a 50 to 60 year period. Well, that's right. And think about it. When you were born in the 60s, the people who were adults then, your parents, yep. um, had 
experienced a federal government, a Washington, that had done two rather spectacular things. They had defeated the Nazis and the Japanese in a world war, built an amazing economy that through the 50s made us the richest country in the world by far. Um, And they had gotten us out of the Great Depression. So people in that era saw a government that was functioning at a a very um, competent in a very competent way, um, and that had achieved great things. Beginning in the 70s, we have a long slide in trust. And interestingly enough, it goes on regardless of political party. So the trust keeps going down whether they're Democrats or Republicans in office. It goes on regardless of policy. Um, And it clearly is an indication that Americans are feeling that this Washington government, which they built, which is a result of the expansion of government after the Second World War, um, is not working very well. Is this? Uh, let's go back in time for a second and, and just look because if you if you think about the history of this country, and obviously there have been wars and and elements of war that that our country has been involved in over the years. We mentioned Buchanan, and obviously part of why he uh, you know struggled was because of leading into the Civil War. What about somebody like LBJ or Richard Nixon? Uh, obviously, LBJ around the time of Vietnam, Nixon in there as well, and also the Watergate scandal as well. Those are two gentlemen that at that time, there was already kind of a little bit of a, a, you know, a growing distrust with government with the way the country was moving at that point anyway. Well, remember, I mean, they're, they're slightly different situations, but I think they both both make the point. Um, LBJ was extraordinarily competent at legislation, and I think that it can fairly be said that you needed an LG, LBJ to finally pass civil rights legislation. That was his big you know, achievement. Where he fell down was in an area that he really knew nothing about, which was military action. And, you know, he pursued a war in Vietnam that uh, a lot of people came to dislike and so much so that he didn't even run for re-election in 1968, even though he could have. Um, with Richard Nixon, you had some really superb um, foreign policy achievements. He was very good at government on the um, international side, the opening to China being the big one um, and getting, you know, ending the war in Vietnam. Um So Nixon was pretty good at government. His failures were really more in a weird way. They were were really more characters, uh, failures of character. Um, Getting, you know, he was going to beat George McGovern in 1972. Um, He didn't have to have a campaign that was involved in dirty tricks and breaking into places and and obstructing justice and stuff like that. There was a, you know, there was a, that, that I think is, was not a failure of governance. That was really a failure of his own, you know, character. You also, as you've mentioned before, talk about uh, Katrina uh, in here. And I guess to uh, maybe even a little bit of a degree, uh, Sandy would be involved in this as well. But Katrina obviously is the one that so many people remember. And the fact that the response by the federal government was not as effective as it probably needed to be. No. And again, that this was knowable. 
And that that's what I think, you know, one of the points I try to make in the book is that organizational capacity or incapacity, there's generally many signs of it before the before the thing blows up. And so in the case of Katrina, what had happened to FEMA was that it had been placed inside of a very large department, the Department of Homeland Security. The head of FEMA had been buried in under three layers of bureaucracy. There was no direct access to the president. Um, it was an unwieldy, they were put into an unwieldy situation between the Clinton administration and the Bush administration, everything about FEMA changed. FEMA in the Clinton administration was a star agency. In the Bush administration, it gave us Katrina. And that that change in the capacity of the organization was something that people saw, people warned about, etc. It could have been prevented, um, and it wasn't. Is your expectation that, unfortunately, we may very well see something similar, and hopefully we don't, with whoever becomes president come November? Well, one of the reasons I wrote the book is is that hopefully we won't. I, yeah. I think presidents have now seen, you know— how damaging to their presidency these great big screw-ups are. I mean, Jimmy Carter lost his election to Ronald Reagan in a, in a landslide. Yeah. Now, he may have lost anyway in 1980, but... Um, if he had actually rescued the hostages from Tehran in some, you know, big, cool special ops, you know, operation, yeah. uh, I think that would have helped the guy a lot um, in his reelection bid. And even, you know, even Bush and then Obama, once they had their great big failures, they, they lost political capital and they couldn't – then Obama couldn't pass immigration reform. Bush couldn't pass um, his social security yeah. uh, reform plans. You know, they're just – they're weakened by these things. And I think if the new president um, looks at this, they will pay a little bit more attention to trying to avoid these kinds of failures so they don't find themselves in the – you know, third year, fourth year, fifth year of their presidency, you know, dealing with the disaster uh, that weakens them for the rest of their presidency. If memory serves me, President Carter was towards the end of his term anyway. So and, and that just was, in some respects, kind of the last nail in the coffin for him. Yeah, this he was this um, this was. The a failure, the rescue failure happened in April of 1980, and he was up for re-election in November of 1980. And of course, he ended up being a first-term, a one-term president, yeah. and losing in a huge landslide. Do, do, do military actions play a kind of a role that are very hard to uh, to kind of turn around for presidents? They sure do. I mean, you know, look, the president is the commander in chief and Americans hold the president responsible for yeah. these things. So when you go to war in when you do a rescue mission with the military that can't talk to each other and has no special forces capacity, uh, you're going to be in trouble. When you go into Iraq and you're not prepared to hold territory, um, you're going to be in in trouble. Um, you know, there's just a lot of the the military failures are the ones that we really see because there's 
often loss of life involved and American humiliation around the world. And yeah. and they they really come back to to get the president. Well, and then also you have to throw in now, uh, over the last uh, 15 years or so, uh, the advent of social media. And obviously you you had reporters covering the White House and covering all of these elements for, for a long, long time. But now you have it's, – it's almost multiplied because you have bloggers and, and all kinds of different people who think they are reporters who are bringing stuff to the <laughs> forefront. Well, that's right. And and some of that is very good. And some of that is just a lot of noise. Um, but the fact is that the kinds of failures that I talk about in this book that really do hurt the president are the sorts of failures where everyone says, oh, my God, what a mess. Yeah. Democrats and Republicans say it, you know, the bloggers say it, and individual Americans experience it. Um, and that's one of the points in the book is that you can't use media to talk your way, whether it's social media or television, whatever it is. When there's a big, big governmental failure, the president can't talk his or her way out of the failure. Spin just stops working uh, because everyone sees with their own eyes what the failure is. I want to read the last paragraph that you have in the book because I think it's it's very good and it really kind of uh, uh, caps uh, kind of the feelings, I think, of a lot of people uh, right now in the United States. The, the last paragraph of the book goes like this. There's no perfect system for picking presidents, but the old system had the virtue of testing something important to presidential leadership, the ability to work in a system of divided power. To be sure, that old system had its faults, but it's been replaced by a new system that rewards the ability to communicate over and above abilities such as negotiation among equals that are needed to govern. That, 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 that's, a, that's a powerful statement, and it, and it does really capsulize how much the presidency has really changed over the last 30 to 40 years. You betcha. I mean, all you have to do is look at, you know, today's news and Donald yeah. Trump going to war with his own party. You know, I mean, you know, if he should manage to become president— um, how is are his relations with the Republican Congress going to be with giants of the Republican Senate like John McCain with the Speaker of the House like yeah. Paul Ryan? You know, I mean, presidents, you know, we, we in modern America, we give an outsized amount of media attention to presidents. But the fact of the matter is the Constitution is still the Constitution and the branches are equal and you really can't do very much um, without the cooperation of Congress. So the skills that make you a, able to do that are not at all tested in the modern uh, nomination system the way they were in the old-fashioned system where it was other party leaders who nominated you, mm. not voters in the primaries. Elaine, thank you very much for coming on. It's, it's a really good book to go through. Thank you very much for giving us your time today. Oh, thank you for reading the book and, and giving me a chance to talk about it. Thank you. The book is uh, Why Presidents Fail and How They Can Succeed Again. Elaine K. Mark is the author. The book is available uh, online and in bookstores right now. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.